almost tripped you up. <laughs> Sorry about that. Wow, it's so good to be back with you guys tonight. It's been too long, hasn't it? It's been too long since I've been home. It's good to be back home. I've been looking forward to this for a while, and I do agree that it's the timing of the Lord. Hey, I like your, uh, I like your cap. Thank you. Thank you for wearing that. Stand up. You guys know I'm from Wisconsin, right? You've got to love this girl. I'm from Wisconsin, too. Thank you. Um, I want to share something tonight that I hope and pray does a stirring in your heart. And I pray tonight has been a desire that I've had for holy jealousy. You don't often hear those words together. But I want you to be so gripped by the story that I'm about to tell you that you will be jealous to see this in your lifetime. You'll want it. I pray for a hunger and a desire to be stirred not by me, but by God. I'm going to start off with just one sentence that a high school girl said to me many, many years ago. We opened up the Bible for a Bible study. And this high school girl, a junior in high school, actually Grantsburg, said, close your Bible. So I closed it, and she said, you know, to be quite honest, Diane, we're sick and tired of hearing what God once did. We're tired of hearing all the Bible stories. We grew up on these. We know these stories. We'd like to know what the hell he's doing today. We did shut our Bibles for a while, and we had an honest discussion about high school students being bored to tears, Christian kids, kids that claimed to know the Lord, that had seen squat. They had not seen answers to prayer that they could point to and say, that was God. They had not seen miracles, and they were just tired of stories. I don't want this to be another story. I want this to be a story that makes you go, God, I want that. In Isaiah 26, verse 8, it says, Yes, Lord, walking in the ways of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and your fame are the desire of our hearts. Lord, we wait for you. Are you waiting for God to show up? Is his name and his fame now the desire of your heart? Habakkuk, in Habakkuk um, chapter 3, verse 2, it says, Lord, I've heard the news about you. I am amazed, Lord, at the powerful things that you did in the past. Now I pray that you will do those great things in our time. Please, please, Lord, make them happen again in our days. So we often also repeat the Lord's Prayer, right? And we just, we're so used to it. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do we really know what it is that we're praying when we said, Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done right now, right here. 
on earth as it is in heaven. Whatever, Lord, you have written down in the blueprint room of heaven, Lord, I want to see that here. So what is God's kingdom look like for the Twin Cities? Your kingdom come, Lord, in the Twin Cities. Your will be done in the Twin Cities. Do we really want that? I'll be honest with you standing up here. I can truthfully say this as God is my witness. I've had one burning, burning, burning desire in my life. And I can tell it to you in one word. Revival. I've had it for almost 40 years. I stand before you 57 years old, and I'm going, God, before I die, I want to see something like I've read about. I don't want to just see, you know, a few people get saved in a year. Like, I want to see you come rolling in and just smoke the place. I want to see people come into your kingdom. I want to see us all on our faces, shock and awe. We're just like, wow, can you believe it? I mean, Lord, your word says that you want to blow our minds, not on drugs. Eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. That is beyond what we can think or conceive or even imagine. He wants to blow our minds by what he does. So I want to share a story with you where just reading about this blows my mind. I got to pray before I do. Father, every time I share this story, something rises up in me. Every time I share this story, I just hunger more and more. I want to see something like this. I know that you're not running things off the copy machine. You don't scan and print and all that stuff. I'm not asking you to scan this and do it exactly the same. But will you custom make something that's just as powerful and that's just as glorious where you're the center of it all? And where people are swept into your kingdom, not one now and then. I don't even want to see added to the church daily those that are being saved. I want to see thousands. I want to see all of us get right with you and be basking in your presence to see a city saturated with the presence of God. And Lord, if you just do it in the Twin Cities and it doesn't spill over into Grantsburg, I'm going to be really upset. I'm just telling you now, if it doesn't cross the river, it's not what I'm praying for. Lord, I want to see you fill this part of the world with your glory. I've seen your presence when I've traveled. And when I come home, I feel like I come home to a desert, a dry and thirsty place where we play church and we pretend to be Christians. I don't know, Lord. It just doesn't even look like the same stuff that I see overseas. Lord, come and visit us with a genuine, no smoke and mirrors, nothing hyped up and psyched up and advertised and marketed and all that bull. It's okay to say that I'm a farmer. And Lord, so I just (laughs) ask for a genuine move of your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, you cannot say all that heifer, right? It just doesn't sound the same. Heifers are girl cows for those that don't know. 
The story I want to share with you tonight takes place close to my lifetime, certainly Paul's. It's not... (laughs) It's not... it's, it's, It's numbers that you can... It's numbers that you can understand. This move of God takes place off the west coast of Scotland in a small group of islands called the Hebrides Islands between 1949 and 1952. A widespread revival swept over these islands in answer to the desperate prayers of God's people. I want to introduce you tonight to some of the unique, unlikely cast of characters that God used in this phenomenal revival. The first that you're going to meet are an unlikely pair. Who would ever guess that these two women would be at the epicenter and at the very front end of the move of God? Their names are Peggy and Christine Smith and they lived in the tiny village of Barvis. Peggy, 84 years old, was almost totally blind, could barely see the hand in front of her face. And her old maid sister, Christine, was 82, and she was gnarled up with arthritis, crippled in her hands, her joints, her feet. And so for all practical purposes, these two elderly sisters were housebound in their little cottage. And to be quite frank with you, they needed each other. Peggy needed Christine to see, and Christine needed Peggy to move. That's how tough their lives were. Tell me how much you think they wanted to stick around on this planet. They would look at each other some days, be gruntled and discouraged and depressed and ornery and say, why hasn't God taken us? We're a couple of worthless old maid sisters. We should be in heaven. What good are we to anybody? They couldn't go to church anymore. They, they were just homebound. One morning, they had a discussion about why they're not dead yet. And they decided that perhaps God had something for them. And there wasn't a whole lot they could do. They certainly couldn't come over to uh, someone's house for a cleanup day doing indoor and outdoor tasks. They needed someone to come to their place. And so they decided, you know what, about all we can do is pray. So Peggy and Christine started praying. And it was prayer that built as they went on. But they just began every day to pray together and pray specifically for their village and their islands, the Hebrides Islands, that God would begin to move in their area. And then they began to pray more and more and got more specific. They got the, the, the roads of all from the post office, all the roads in their island, names of people in their island. They began to pray street by street, road by road, house by house, for everybody that they could by name, to experience a touch of God. They began to pray for the churches in, um, on the island, in the Hebrides Islands that they knew. They prayed for their church to experience a move of God, for other churches to experience a move of God. And they, they staked their prayers 
on one verse. Isaiah 44, 3. I will pour water on him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I want to read a little bit more surrounding that verse. For I will pour water on him that is thirsty and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessings on your descendants. They'll spring up like grass in a meadow, like poplar trees by flowing streams. One will say, I belong to the Lord. Another will call himself by the name of Jacob, and another will write on his hand, the Lord's, and another will take the name of Israel. Can you see your generation tattooing on their arm or on their leg or wherever? I belong to the Lord. Or tattooing in a visible place, the Lord's. Taking biblical names, names of Jacob and of Israel, because they're experiencing a touch of the Lord. This is what the women staked their prayer life on. On Isaiah 44, 3. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? That you are on an island surrounded by water and you describe your situation as dry and thirsty. They clearly were not referring to um, the climate. They were referring to the spiritual condition of their island, which they saw as dry and thirsty. The second set of characters that I want to introduce you to is just for lack of a better name because I've never been able to find their names. I'm going to call them Band of Brothers. So you're with me, right? We've got Peggy and Christine Smith, blind and crippled. Now we have this Band of Brothers. Let me tell you a little bit about them. At the annual meeting of the Church of Scotland in Stornoway, a group of men discussed the awful conditions of the church in all of their regions. They discussed that the worldly places in their communities were packed, and the churches were virtually empty. All that remained in the churches was a bunch of elderly, but absent from most of their churches was anyone 50 and under. The bars were crowded. The bingo halls were full. Sporting events were packed. And the churches were despairing. No one dreamed that the frustration of the men at this annual meeting of the Church of Scotland would be a catalyst for this amazing spiritual awakening. Among the many people who were concerned about the state of the church and expressing this frustration at the annual meeting, that was, it was a very depressing annual meeting because there wasn't a lot positive to say. They were being honest. The situation of the Church of Scotland at this time was desperate. It was really, there wasn't anything that they could brag about. So there was a small group of men from Barvis that attended these meetings. There were seven of them, seven guys from Barvis that were at this exact annual meeting, and no one could have guessed that their frustration also would be a catalyst for revival. So they came home from this annual meeting and said, so what are we going to do about it, guys? What are we going to do about this? They said, well, nothing's going to change if we keep on doing the same old, same old. You know the definition of insanity, right? Doing the same thing over and over again and hoping for different results, right? 
That is the definition of insanity. And so these guys determined that we're going to do something different, and the something different we're going to do is we're going to pray. And so these seven guys covenanted that they would get together three nights a week, three nights a week, and they would do all-night prayer. These guys were farmers. They worked from sun up till way past sundown, and they agreed that they would tuck their kids and their wives in bed, and at 10 o'clock, they would meet at one of the farmer's barn, and they would go up in the haymow, and they would pray. And so at 10 o'clock, three nights a week, they prayed from about 10 at night till 3 in the morning and then would get a little bit of sleep before they got up at 5.30, 6 o'clock to milk cows and start doing their chores. So this went on week after week, night after night, for five months. And you know what they saw after five months of praying like this? Diligent, committed prayer. Nobody was missing. They weren't you know, um, bailing out of this. They were in. And what they saw was nothing. You ever felt like that? You do what you hear you should do. You pray like crazy. You come to Bible study. You're in the word. You do whatever. These guys were diligent, and they saw literally nothing. So one night after five months, this one guy decides you know, I'm not just going to pretend like this is a lot of fun (laughs) and this is getting old. And so turning to his brothers, he says, hey, you guys, it just seems to me that this is so much humbug. That's the word he used. This is a lot of humbug that we've been waiting and praying as we are and we're not seeing nothing. And so then this was his question to the other six guys. Could it be that we are not rightly related to God? For this whole five months, we've been focusing on them out there, on our communities, on our churches, on the fact that the young people are so lost, on the political scene, on all this. But he said, what about us? And then he turned in his Bible to Psalms 24. And he read this to the other farmers from Psalms 24. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may dwell in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol, or swear by what is false. He will receive blessings from the Lord and vindication from God his Savior. This is the generation of those who seek you, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. And so he just says to the guys in humility and honesty, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I have to search my own heart, my own life. Do we have clean hands and pure hearts as we meet in this haymow, praying week after week, night after night? Maybe we need to pray from Psalms 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my mind, know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked or offensive way in me 
and lead me in the way everlasting. So that was this guy, this young deacon, that was his challenge to the other guys in the Haymow that night. Here's what happened after that. All of the guys, all seven of them, fell prostrate on the, on the hay in the Haymow on the floor. And in response to this searching challenge from God, these seven guys fell upon their knees and in confession and spent three hours from about one until four just getting right with God themselves. There was a holy visitation in a haymow to be continued. At about this same time, Peggy, remember Peggy, the blind one, Peggy had a vision. Blind people have visions. Wasn't any physical sight. She had a spiritual vision. And in her vision, she saw a church crowded to the gills with young people. And let me assure you, there had been no church in the Hebrides Islands that had been crowded with young people. Young people weren't going to church. So she sent for her minister, Pastor Reverend Pastor James McKay, James Murray McKay. And, he told, and she told him what God had shown her, that God was about to pour out his spirit on their island and that young people were going to be swept into the kingdom of God by the droves and that churches were going to be filled with young people. And so she said to him, um, I think that you need to summon the deacons and the elders. You need to gather the leaders of our church, and you also need to begin to pray and to seek God. So at this time, um, Pastor James McKay had heard about the farmers in the Haymow. So they thought, well, if the everyday farmers could pray, maybe the deacons and elders and the pastor should step it up. So they began to gather around a peat fire at night, um, light some peat because they didn't have wood, I guess, and begin to pray at night and also pray for revival. Now, at the same time, you, are you with me now, this cast of characters? We got blind Peggy, crippled um, Christine. We've got the band of brothers. We've got Pastor James Murray McKay. And now we have another one, Donald McPhail. Donald's a 16-year-old kid. He's 16 years old, and he feels so alone because in his school, he is one of the only Christians in the whole school. And his heart is so broken for this, the spiritual climate and the spiritual state of his high school that he would be found often in the barn again. I love this story because it's got that barn thing in it, you know. He'd be in the barn praying um, in front of a hay bale. And one day the pastor came out to visit his family and was having a cup of coffee with mom and dad and the others in the house. And the pastor said, hey, where's Donald? And his dad said, I think he's out in the barn doing chores. So the pastor went out to the barn and opened up the barn door and said, hey, Donald, are you in here? Donald answers from in front of the cows, hi, pastor, please excuse me. I, I don't want to be disturbed right now because I'm having a meeting with my king. I'll talk to you another time. So here is a guy deep in prayer for his community and his school, and he doesn't have time for a chit-chat with his pastor because he's praying. A 16-year-old boy 
weeping, interceding for his high school. And then there's one other guy. I love this story because of how God just weaves masterfully. It's the Holy Spirit calling people to pray. And they're mostly ordinary people, an unlikely cast of characters that we would not choose. And this one certainly is that. Blacksmith John. Don't forget Blacksmith John. Blacksmith John has been shoeing horses and trimming cow's hoofs all day. He smells ripe. This is, you know, if you think your toe jam is bad, you should just take a good whiff of horse or cow toe jam to really understand something foul. Okay, so the blacksmiths at that time would wear leather chaps, and they'd wear a skull cap, but it wouldn't say Green Bay on it. (laughs) So they'd have this leather skull cap, almost like an imam, almost like a a Muslim skull cap, that they would bury in the side of a cow or in the side of a horse as they're shoeing them. So blacksmith John is smelling pretty ripe. He's got greasy, dirty handprints rubbed down his leather chaps, but he doesn't want to miss prayer. And so when he gets done with work one day, he just goes straight from shoeing to the prayer meeting. And so after a while, um, the leader of the prayer meeting said, hey, Blacksmith John, we see that you've just arrived. Uh, How would you like to um, pray for us for a while? So Blacksmith John gets up. And this is like a word-for-word quote of his prayer. He takes off his skull cap because he's talking to God. Oh, God, he says, he goes back to Isaiah 44, you made a promise that you were going to pour water on dry ground. And Lord, it's just not happening here. He paused again and then continued. Lord, I don't know how the others here in this room, how they stand in your presence. But Lord, if I know anything about my own heart, I stand before you as an empty vessel, thirsting, for a manifestation of your power. You hear this simple guy? I don't know about the rest of the people in this room, but God, I stand before you as an empty, thirsty vessel yearning for a manifestation of your power. He halted it again, and after a moment of tense silence, cried, Oh God, your honor is at stake. You promised you would pour out water on dry ground. And I now challenge you to fulfill your covenant engagement with us and do what you promised to do. That's a blacksmith's prayer. God, I'm thirsty. And you said in your word, I'm holding up your word to you. You're a covenant-keeping God. That's what I know about you. I know that you're a God that keeps your covenant. And God, I, this is his words, I challenge you to fulfill your covenant agreement with us and do what you promised. Hold on, okay, to be continued. There was an old guy on the radio that used, Paul Harvey, he used to say, And now stay tuned tomorrow for the rest of the story. So stay tuned. 
Clearly, this grassroots prayer movement was being orchestrated under the direction of the Holy Spirit in response to the earnest prayers of desperate, hungry people who wanted God to show up and bring change. They were not going to settle for the same old, same old. Listen carefully to what happened. As much as I can tell from the research I've done, there was a cumulative building of this uh, prayer movement that resulted in a crescendo one night. And as close as I can tell, all the prayers of this community for all these months reached a climax on this one night. It was the night, it wasn't the night all hell broke loose. It was the night all heaven broke loose. Remember what was happening in the barn with the band of brothers? You're still with me in the band of brothers? So these guys from one to four were on their faces in the haymow, repenting and confessing their sins to each other. When they got up off the floor and went out of the haymow, they saw cottage lights coming on all over the island as people were spontaneously waking up running out of their cottages and yelling, oh God, oh God, and falling down on lawns and in ditches, crying out to God. It was like the Holy Spirit, I mean, he was the wake-up call on every, they didn't have iPhones then, but it was the Holy Spirit was waking people up and basically saying, it's time. By five o'clock, revival had come the barn was filled with the glory of God and that same power that was let loose in the barn shook the whole community remember blacksmith John same night as close as I can tell here is a man praying the prayer of faith that heaven has to answer Because there are those today who will verify the fact that while the brother prayed, the dishes in the counters, the dishes in the the uh, cabinets rattled. They thought there was an earthquake in Barvis on the island because all the dishes, just like it says in the book of Acts, and the place where they were meeting was shaken. Okay? They experienced the same thing. The place where they was, were meeting was literally shaken, and then wave after wave of divine power swept throughout the room. Simultaneously, the Spirit of God swept through the village. People could not sleep. Houses were lit up at, in the middle of the night, 4 o'clock in the morning, people were walking the streets in great conviction, laying in road ditches. They thought there was roadkill, but it wasn't. It was people crying out to God. Remember Peggy and Christine. So we've got what's happening with Blacksmith John, what's happening with the band of brothers in the Haymow. Peggy and Ris- 
Christine, on that same night, when the presence of God visited the barn, the glory of the Lord swept into their little cottage, and God spoke very clearly to these women, revealing to them the name, the specific name of the minister who God wanted to use in this revival in the Hebrides Islands. The man's name was Duncan Campbell a Presbyterian minister and a great man of prayer. Not a a charismatic, a Presbyterian minister. And it was very clear to these women. He didn't live there. They had to send for him. He was in an, in fact, his schedule was not even supposed to be free. And something happened that freed him up so that he then could come to Barvis, to the Hebrides. And the women told them, Um, In two weeks, God told us in two weeks, he was going to make a way for you to come to this community because he is about to bring the greatest spiritual awakening that we have ever seen. So once again, a blind lady, 84 years old, has a vision. These two women are behind so much of what's going on and they're never out of their house. (laughs) It's just amazing. So here's some stuff of what happened. Within 48 hours, the most popular bar on the island was closed. 48, two days, was closed because the 14 leading customers who showed up for happy hour every day got gloriously saved. They... (laughs) They encountered God, and the last thing they wanted to do was drink. So they instead, the bar was actually turned into a prayer meeting place where they would go and pray for other alcoholics that they would be saved. So the bar owner didn't want this. Like, we got to get these praying guys out of here. They closed the bar. Because these guys are praying for their old associates that God would touch them too. It was also in this same village, Barvis, that within 48 hours, many young people surrendered their lives to Christ and began to attend these prayer meetings. 600 were saved in one week. 600 high school students wham, were brought on their knees to Jesus and had an encounter with Jesus. Ah, they experienced the power of God falling on them like Saul on the road to Damascus. And remember, Peggy and Christine had a vision of the church jammed with young people, and now we're seeing it. Now, the revival wasn't just contained in this little town of Barvis. It's obviously word got out. And it spread to the other towns in the islands. Men and women throughout the islands began to pray in desperation for God to manifest his power in their lives. It was like the Spirit's power was on steroids. It just increased and increased as more and more people, more testimonies, more stories of people's lives being transformed. Some of the most vivid outpourings came when Donald, the 16-year-old kid in the hay, in the, on the hay bale, was asked to pray. One night, he was at the police station, and the police asked him, hey, Donald, we see you're here tonight. Would you pray for us? And Donald stood up in the police department 
at the local jail and he looked up to heaven and said one word, Father. That's all he said, Father. Everyone melted in tears at the presence of God in the police station. One minister described the scene outside the police station under a starlit sky. He said, I saw something I shall never forget. Under a starlit sky, men and women were kneeling everywhere, by the roadside, outside their cottages, behind smoking peat stacks, crying for God to have mercy on them. Because a 16-year-old boy said one word, Father. Startling things were taking place. The Spirit of God was sweeping over the homes and the areas surrounding the village, and many people came under the convicting power of the Spirit. Fishermen out on their boats. In fact, the stories are said that the presence of God was so powerful on this island in particular, the island where Barvis was, that if fishing boats came within a certain distance of that island, fishermen would fall on their knees on the boat with no one saying a word because the presence of God was so powerful there. They didn't even know why they were doing what they were doing. It wasn't like somebody was preaching. They'd get within, the, within Barvis on the Hebrides Islands, and bam, they'd find themselves on their knees crying out to God. School teachers examining papers were gripped by the power of God. Um, the ten, by 10 o'clock in the morning, the, street, the roads were streaming with people from every direction, p- making their way to church. Church services were, be held, were being held 24-7. Poor Duncan Campbell. He shows up two weeks after the, the thing had really started rolling, right? And this was his schedule. He conducted four services every night because he had to wait till after the people you know, finished work. So the first one was at 7, and then another one at 10, and the third one was at midnight, and then back to another one at 3 a.m., and then home between 5 and 6. Duncan Campbell himself will say, though, listen to what he says, 75% of the people on these islands were gloriously saved before they came near a meeting. He does not take credit for what God was doing. He said 75% of the island was saved before they ever attended one of my meetings. For example, as a preacher came out of church, the Holy Spirit swept in among the people on the road like a wind. They gripped each other in fear, in agony of soul. They trembled. Many wept, and some fell to the ground under great conviction of sin. Several men were found laying by the side of the road in such despair and distress that they could not even speak, yet not any of them had been anywhere near a church. So great was the supernatural move of God that most of the homes did not escape the conviction and the glorious presence of God. The town was changed. Lives and homes were transformed. Fishing fleets were changed. They began to have a worship 
person, they'd say, we want a worship leader to go out with us every time we go fishing to lead us in prayer and worship to God. We don't ever, we got to work, right? We got to work for a living, but we want always to be in his sweet presence. We don't want to leave his presence. Okay, I got to make another comment on the praying butcher. Oh, uh, Boxmith John, sorry. This is a new guy. This is, sorry, uh, yeah, I know I'm, I'm blowing your mind. So the butcher is another guy, and you're going to love this story. This one is for you, Beck. I told you at the end. I had some sweet story for you. Okay, the praying butcher was another guy that was in town, and Duncan really came to rely on this butcher. He's the guy cutting up the fish cutting up the the goats and the sheep, the animals on the island for you got to have some meat, you know. And so Duncan would go to him and say, so what's the Lord been showing you? What's the Lord been telling you? He had so much respect for the butcher's prayer life. I don't know his name. Um, One day when he stopped to see the butcher, he asked him, what you been praying for lately? And he said, I've been praying for Greece. How did you come to be praying for Greece? He asked the butcher. Do you even know where Greece is? No, Pastor Campbell, but God knows where Greece is. And he told me today that I was supposed to pray for Greece. Two years later, Duncan was introduced to a man in Dublin who told him the following story. He had gone to Greece on a business trip and was asked to speak to an assembly of Christians. The Spirit of God fell on the place and worked so powerfully that he continued preaching for a few weeks. He was only supposed to be on business for a short time, but he stayed for a few weeks. So powerful was the move of God. He phoned his brother in Ireland and instructed him to look after the business until he returned because he needed to stay because of what God was doing. Duncan compared dates. Now keep in mind, this is two years later. He compared dates and discovered that the movement of God in Greece began on the same day that the butcher felt led by God to pray that morning for Greece. Isn't that amazing? They had the red phone. Because an island was desperate for God. God was moving. God was speaking to them, whether old or young. They were listening to God. They were hearing from God. They were responding to God in faith and in obedience, even when it seems strange. The secret of the visitation, yes, the Hebrides Islands was certainly a manifestation of the sovereign power of God. It was something greater than organization, something greater than hype and psych, something more wonderful than simply a new approach to evangelism. This was God. God in action, independent of special personalities. There was no one that you would point your hand to and say, no wonder God showed up. Look who was there. No, these were common people. But there was a secret. A handful of people began praying, desperately praying. 
and believing that God would come. Boldly praying, I challenge you to fulfill your covenant agreement. Your honor is at stake. Pour out your spirit on my island. There was travailing prayer. This went on. They waited on the Lord. Every revival that I have ever studied anywhere in the world in any time of history has been preceded by men and women and young people on their knees desperately crying out to God, God, something's got to change. Something's got to change. To be as honest as that high school student and say, Lord, what the hell is going on in the United States today? He can handle that. Lord, I want to see something. I too am tired of all the stories. Do it again. Do it in my city, in my neighborhood, in my family, in my church. And Lord, I'm going to keep coming to you. I'm not going to give you any rest. I'm going to be in your face day and night because I'm sick of the way things are. Are you sick of the way things are? Duncan Campbell said this when asked, what is revival? What's revival, Duncan? And Duncan said, revival is a community saturated with the presence of God. Isn't that a great definition? Revival is a community, a region, an island, a city, saturated, immersed, soaked in the presence of a living God. Do we want that today? Are we willing to pay the price? Who will be the Peggy and Christines? Who will be the Donald McPhail? Who will be the band of brothers? You don't have to get together in a haymow. There's not a lot of barns down here. But where will you meet? Who will be the group of sisters? Who will pay the price? Because there is... There's like, this is two sides of a coin. One side of the coin is the sovereign move of God, but the other side of the coin is a people desperate for God. God, yes, all moves of God are God, but God, since the Garden of Eden, he designed that we would partner with him. He created Adam and Eve, and they were to partner with him. He created us to partner with him. God like, has almost tied his hands behind his back and said, I'm not going to move until you move, until you pray. He doesn't do it apart from us. He wants to do it with us. And so could it be, just could it be, that the state of Minneapolis-St. Paul and the state of America, the state of Grantsburg, Nate, The situation that all of us are facing is simply because our prayer life's been wimpy. Like I'm going to raise my hand right now and say my prayer life lately has been wimpy. You know, are we desperate? I'm going to close in prayer and then I'm going to ask you to give me a little bit of feedback, okay? Because I've been talking at you long enough. Father... I want this. Like I can I want it so bad I can taste it. And 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 it's kind of like stories in the Bible. I read this and I go, "Wow, does this kind of stuff happen? Can this happen again?" 
But your word says very clearly, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You change not. We change, but you don't change. And I just can't help but believe that tonight in heaven, you're sitting on the edge of your seat saying, I'm ready. I'm ready. I want to do this. Where are my praying saints? Where are those crying out to me? I think you're just waiting for prayers to rise like incense. You're more than ready to sweep our nation, our world with a visitation. And it's very clear in your word that in the last days, you're going to pour out your spirit on all flesh. Not just one island, not just the west of Scotland, on all flesh in the world, you're going to pour out your spirit. It's going to sweep the globe on old and young God, I can't believe we get to be alive today. There is no other time in all of human history that I would choose to be alive rather than right now. I so bad want to see this in our lifetime. I just pray for every one of these guys in this room that they would so, they'd look around and say, God, I'm sick and tired of this. I want more. I want you. I want all of you. I won't settle. I pray that that will be the cry of their hearts. And that spontaneous, not Diana-signed groups, spontaneous, organic springing up of people saying, let's be two of them, let's be three of them, let's be the band of brothers, the band of sisters. Nothing that anybody orchestrates but your spirit, where people just began to do extraordinary prayer. And then God will wait for you. But we're not going to do it patiently. We're going to be very impatient. (laughs) We're going to impatiently wait for you. Because we got to see this soon. Things got to change. And Lord, what we yearn for is that you'll be famous. That everywhere, everywhere we go, all that anybody wants to do is talk about Jesus. I just, I I yearn for the day when everywhere you go, you just go into any store, you go into a gas station, you know Jesus, can you tell me anything about him? I want to know about Jesus. Where Jesus Christ is not a swear word, but it's an adored name. Where everybody just wants to talk about Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. And that's what we want And we say with blacksmith John, fulfill your covenant agreement with us and pour out your spirit on dry ground. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, I want to play you a song. I don't know that I can do this on my iPhone, but I want to try, and I want you to close your eyes and um, listen if I can find it. I'm still a little technically challenged. Oops, sorry.
that someday your name will cover the earth the way the waters cover the sea you will be famous everywhere among everyone you will be known and someday every single knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ you are Lord. We pray that it won't have to wait too long for it to happen in the Twin Cities. It'd be so great if in the Twin Cities every knee would bow, that that we'd actually see it. Wouldn't be at the end of the age, it would be now. From every immigrant, every people group that's in the Twin Cities, all the Somalian Muslims, all the Hmong, all the Hindus, all the Tibetan Buddhists, that there'd be such a move of God in the Twin Cities that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that, Jesus, you are Lord. And I pray you'd use us. You know, we're not any better than Peggy and Christine or Butcher John or Blacksmith John. 
or the butcher or the band of brothers or Donald. We're just common, ordinary people. Nothing special about any of us, but that's okay because there's something really special about you. And so, Lord, come by your spirit. Hear the the simple prayers of our hearts and uh, let us see your story being written here. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen. Diane knows that last uh, December when she brought a Ugandan man here, it changed my life. I've told you that before. Something happened, and I knew I had to give time to prayer, and it, it was a serious upgrade. I don't take any credit for it. It simply happened. God started waking me up, and uh, I've basically given the mornings now to, uh, to more concerted, prayer. I failed miserably, but uh, since I started doing that, then God began speaking to me about revival. I did not pray for revival before December. In fact, sometimes I, I discouraged people because I felt like they weren't being realistic about their situation. But now I pray for revival. I expect it. It's coming, I believe, this summer. And I would want to know if God speaks to you in a similar way. Because God spoke to Nate, and so we've started praying together, and it's knit our hearts together in prayer. I'm speaking Thursday to a group of pastors. There are going to be about 50 uh, here in the Twin Cities. I was called in January and asked me to pray uh, to speak on incarnation because he'd written, read an article that I had uh, done. And I said, well, I'll I'll speak on that, but I'd rather speak on revival. I don't speak on revival. I didn't know when I said that what I'd speak. I have an idea now. I've got two days to finish and get ready. So I'm really trusting the Lord to, to pull that together. But I believe that I'm called to stir that up in the Twin Cities and to stir it up here. Now, I hardly believed in impartation when that happened to me because I'd seen it misused. And I knew God gave it to me. Simply simply gave it to me because he started changing my life. So I have gathered pastors together. We had pastors here last Thursday. I also invited intercessors from the cities. Some of the people that you probably know that came. And uh, we prayed here for a couple hours. And, and there are more intercessors that, intercessors that I'm connecting with in the cities. Because we're calling people to prayer. I'd like to know if God speaks to you and changes your life, and you begin to pray in an extraordinary way. Uh, I talked at the end of the year on extraordinary faith because I knew it would take two things. It would take an upgrade in prayer and an upgrade in faith, that we would believe God to do miraculous things. I'm absolutely believing God to do outlandish miracles. It started miracles of, of, of breaking cancer, from people, I got an email yesterday from Kurt uh, Kurt Kurt Kessler. He said they've got a a friend who has got four stage cancer. And he said, "I know that you've prayed for cancer and seen people healed, so we're going to pray for cancer and believe for th- things like that just to happen. Uh, all kinds of miracles they're going to happen 
we're going to see them. We're going to take part in them. So I'm going to pray for you because I prayed for pastors down and groups of people. If I, could, if I got it for nothing, I can give it away, right? And so I just want you to be open to God changing your heart through a simple prayer that God will give you something. And I didn't do anything different, but God did something different. He would wake, he'd wake me up, and I'd fall asleep sometimes. But sometimes I'd stay awake, and, and uh, I know that he's done a number on me. So I'm going to pray for you now that God will do a miracle in your life, and he'll change you. God's final word to Jonah in the book of Jonah was, should not I be concerned for this great city? It was a city with brutal people. Think ISIS when you think of the Assyrians, the Ninevites. They brutalized the people that they conquered. And God was concerned for those people and for that city. And I think, should not God be concerned for the Twin Cities? Should not God be concerned for Seattle, for Grantsburg, for Moscow, for Tokyo, for Mexico City? Does he have people that are crying out? I want to cry out for the Twin Cities. Is it broken? Is it wicked? Indeed it is. It's, it's wicked. But God looks down, and his compassion overrides his justice. It actually relocates his justice at the cross. And so I pray for you now that God will move on your heart and something of the compassion of God will be put in you and that you will be called to prayer, that you'd find yourself praying and that the prayers would break through. Something in prayer would come through, that it would be deeper, it would be fuller, it would be charged with the Spirit of God. I bless you with that. Just breathe in now. Just breathe in. Holy Spirit, come. Do your work. Holy Spirit, come. Change our heart. Go ahead. That's it. Just let him do it. Just let him do it. He's doing it. Oh, he's doing it. Oh, he's doing it. Oh, thank you, God. Whatever he's speaking to you about, his purpose in your heart that you'll be doing. To start tonight, to start in the morning. You'll begin with mm. whatever he's saying to you. Mm-hmm. Takes, he takes all kinds. I was so blessed. Uh, Jenny Hansen said that she was down in Kansas City several years ago. The Lord gave her a prophetic word. You will be used in the revival in the Twin Cities. I'm taking words like that. Chantel had a, a word. She's an intercessor. She had a word that God was going to use her in the Twin Cities. 
this is a day when prophetic words that you've heard five years ago are going to be fulfilled. When God stirs and fulfills prophetic words, he's given some to me that are going to be fulfilled this summer. As we see God work through us, and, and our part is the natural part. His part is doing supernatural things. As he lifts depression, as he lifts anxiety and gives you a sense of purpose, we're going to see it at gas pumps. I saw it today. I, I, I go to a gas pump and I just say, I'm, I'm crazy. I pray for people at gas pumps. What can I pray for you for? And he says, well, that's really, really nice. That's really nice. <laughs> yeah, right. Fill her up, God. Fill her up. Okay. When you hear of some, when you hear of someone that has a headache, say, "Can I pray for you?" When someone says, "I, I feel my stomach feels upset," say, "Can I pray for you?" Step out in faith. You are the hands of God. God's hands look like your hands. So you be the feet of God. You be the hands of God. You be the voice of God. When God speaks from heaven, people get afraid because it sounds like thunder. When he speaks through you, they can hear it because it sounds like your voice and not like God's voice. And so they'll take your voice. But you have the authority of God. The power of God is behind you. And so expect to see miracles as you touch people. I bless you. I bless you in the days ahead. That as you step out in boldness, you are you. You stay who you are. You stay with your personality. But you exercise boldness. You say, okay, I'll just give it a try. And you step out in faith. This is the time for extraordinary faith and extraordinary prayer. Those two things will change the climate in the Twin Cities. And it's going to be by average people like you and me. Just people just like us. And they'll tell the stories years from now. Because God will show up. He's going to show up here at this place. He's going to show up at the ranch. One of the reasons why I've been working a lot on the ranch. We Look at the paths. They've never been so beautiful. They delivered two days ago. They delivered a huge dump load of chips. And we put them on the path. The path is beautiful. Why? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus is going to walk these paths. That's why I'm doing it. I'll tell you. Jesus is coming here. And he's going to walk among us. You see Jesus in the book of Revelation walking among the churches. We're a church. We're the people of God here. We're gathered together to praise the Lord. And so Jesus is going to come among us. And we're going to be instruments of his. We're going to partner with him to touch people. 
I think he's going to show up a lot of places. I'm just gonna, not saying he's showing up here and not there. But I know he's showing up here. We asked him and he said he'll come. So he's coming. Oh, God. Oh, we thank you for this holy time. Holy time, God. I pray that you would, you would help people to understand that when they look at their own life, they wouldn't say they're holy. But when they look at you, you say we're holy. And so we accept that. We say, yes, you're right. He's calling us to be holy and blameless for him. And he uses, he uses people in their weakness. He used Jonah in his skepticism. I told you that when I was at Luther Seminary, I felt like I was going crazy. I was so depressed. I was so broken. I was so confused. I literally thought I was going crazy. And I found out years later, when I first came back here in 1995, I found out that I'd prayed for many people who became pastors to be filled with the Holy Spirit. They're pastors now in the Twin Cities, and they said it was when you came, Paul, and prayed for me. I didn't remember one of them. But see, you're the light we're the light of the world, and we shine. We just step out, and things happen. Miracles happen. I did not know one of them, but God was using me in my brokenness. I don't care if you're broken. I, don't, I care, if you understand what I mean. But what I'm saying is God uses broken people. God uses skeptical people. God uses needy people. God uses all kinds. He's looking, like you said, he's looking for people that are partnering with him because he's not going to do it from heaven. He is not going to do it. There's not one revival in the history of the world that's happened with God alone. It's with God plus Jonah. It's God plus Duncan Campbell. It's God plus you and me. It's God plus Communitas. It's God plus Godtown. It's God linking up with people on earth and saying, I'll do it. Now you pray for me to do it. I'll make it happen, but you, you link up with me. And so he just looks for people who say, okay, let's link up together. Here's what I want you to do. We're going to be up front ready to pray for you. Diane, you be up here. Bob, you be here. We'll, we'll be here to pray with you. But I want you to turn and pray with one another. If God speaks to you about prayer and you're walking into extraordinary prayer, then I want to know about it at some point. Okay, go ahead and just spin together. We're going to make this a prayer meeting. I know it's late. Some of you need to go. That's understandable. You've got to grab some food on the way out. You're welcome to. But spin around and just turn this into a prayer right now. Go ahead. <laughs> 